Last month, former South African president Jacob Zuma was arrested. His supporters took to the streets and looted the districts of KwaZulu-Natal and Gwateng. These riots were the worst South Africa has seen since the end of apartheid, resulting in 337 deaths and over 3,400 people arrested. Yeah. That they must know that they will shit with us. They get it. I'm looting because we apply for jobs, they don't give us jobs. We try and go to offices, try and strike, it doesn't even work. Everything, our whole life, everything is just gone. They've burnt everything. It's just absolutely devastating. What happens here? How long is this going? Are we going to take to get back onto our feet? When comparing to the recent George Floyd riots that happened for over a year consistently and resulted in only 25 deaths, 337 deaths in just two provinces seems a bit extreme. This is because South Africa is and always has been an extreme country, a country steeped in racism, inequality, and political unrest. South Africa has been dubbed the protest capital of the world with one of the highest rates of public protests in the world. In addition to this, it is the most unequal nation in terms of wealth distribution in the world. South Africa also has been called the Rainbow Nation. The phrase was elaborated upon by President Nelson Mandela in his first month of office when he proclaimed, each of us is intimately attached to the soil of this beautiful country, as are the famous jacaranda trees of Pretoria and the mimosa trees of the Bushveld a rainbow nation at peace with itself and the world. This was hopeful thinking from the late philanthropist Nelson Mandela, whose name has become synonymous with freedom fighters and pushing for civil liberties. Mandela was the first black African elected president of South Africa after 56 years of rule under the National Party's apartheid system. The genius of apartheid was convincing people that were the overwhelming majority to turn on each other. Trevor Noah, born a crime. Since the end of apartheid in 1994, the ANC, African National Congress, the party of anti-apartheid policies, which was banned before 1944, and the party of Nelson Mandela, which since 1994 has held at least 55% of the parliament, they have remained in power. It has, however, been losing ground steadily since the bright days of Mandela. This is mainly due to corruption and mismanagement from their leadership. From 2009 to 2018, Jacob Zuma was the president of the ANC and of South Africa. Zuma's reign was also plagued with corruption and mismanagement, including rape allegations. During his tenure, wages stagnated, GDP ballooned, unemployment rose, inequality also didn't improve. In Zuma's defense, all of these can apply since the end of the apartheid government in 1994 and since the ANC took power. The ANC has largely failed to keep their socialistic promises of land and wealth redistribution. Zuma is currently charged with 16 counts of corruption, racketeering, fraud, and money laundering. Zuma's family has been tied to the oligarch Gupta family, a billionaire family who own a business empire in South Africa. The Gupta family has been accused of influencing political policy, interfering with minister appointments, and receiving millions of dollars of public money that was supposed to support poor farmers. At least three of Zuma's immediate family members, Bongi Negema Zuma, Duduzil Zima, and Duduzane Zuma, had business connections with the Guptas. Zuma's allegations of corruption caused him to lose power to the current president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, in 2018. Zuma refused to acknowledge the accusations of corruption against him, 
claiming there were foreign conspiracies meant to destroy his legacy and refused to enter court for 16 months. The court finally demanded the stubborn Zuma appear by February 2021, which he ignored. And in March 2021, Zuma was issued a 15-month prison sentence for contempt of court. Zuma, after initially refusing and having his supporters gather outside of his house with weapons, finally handed himself over to the South African police. Zuma loyalists took to the streets and began violently looting the country. Similar to the George Floyd protest in the USA, the Jacob Zuma arrest was the straw that broke the camel's back. Jacob Zuma was not the real reason the country broke out in the worst violence since the end of apartheid 27 years ago. More than half of South Africa's population lives in poverty on less than $5.50 a day. South Africa has an unemployment rate of 32%, with 63% of its youth unemployed. According to the World Bank, income inequality has increased since the ANC took power in 1994 and apartheid ended. Many South Africans, black ones included, feel times were better under the racist apartheid government. My grandmother was telling me that there used to be a clinic in Zone 1. It was not built by the ANC. It was built by apartheid. Where she stays, there was a clinic built by apartheid. And the ANC went to close the apartheid clinic. That clinic is not functioning. The EFF in my ward must day in and out to demand that that clinic must be opened. And then when we say to you, the apartheid was much better than these people, you think, no, these people are exaggerating. We speak into the practical things that we see. Here is a clinic under apartheid, functioning. Democracy comes, the clinic is collapsed, closed. That was Julius Malema speaking president of the EFF, Economic Freedom Fighters. The third largest political party in South Africa that has garnered a reputation for their far-left, pan-Africanist ideology, with attempts at wealth redistribution, as well as their anti-white rhetoric. You can point at ESCOM, you can point at South African Airways, you can point at Danel, you can point at any municipality in South Africa, you can point at just about anything that's run by the government and anything that's left when it comes to the commercial sector because that's kind of leaving town too and you'll you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that under apartheid things work better bee or black economic empowerment was the anc's program that attempted to fix the evils of apartheid think about it like affirmative action in the usa but flip the numbers where in the USA, minority groups like African Americans make up 13% of the population, a minority. In South Africa, whites make up almost 10% of the population, a minority. BEE encourages businesses to integrate black people in the workspace. Businesses with good levels of BEE rating stand at a better chance of being awarded government contracts. This has created issues for the whites of South Africa today who now feel discriminated against. Like many other places, the COVID-19 pandemic has only amplified things. 65,000 South Africans have been killed by COVID, making it the worst hit African nation. Currently, a third wave of COVID is affecting the country. The split in the ANC between the current president, Ramaphosa, and Zuma has created a civil war within South Africa's largest political party. It is up to Ramaphosa to either make peace and pardon the Zuma faction or to attempt to subdue the Zuma supporters. Riots were located in Durban, Zuma's home province. Economy of South Africa. 
South Africa has a service economy, meaning it's a developed country. Blessed with an abundance of natural resources, like platinum, gold, and diamond, but not dependent on any of these. The Human Development Index, or HDI, in South Africa is pretty good, at 0.705 HDI. HDI measures how a society stacks up in terms of education, life expectancy, etc. South Africa is the seventh highest in terms of HDI in Africa. South Africa is the second largest economy of Africa, behind the giant Nigeria. However, it is considered the most industrialized and advanced country in Africa. Now, all these economic numbers and factors sound good. However, South Africa is by far the most unequal nation on the planet, with a Gini coefficient of 0.643. The Gini coefficient is a measurement that ranges from 0 to 1, and it measures wealth distribution in a country. A coefficient of 0 represents perfect wealth equality, and 1 means that one person holds all the wealth in a country. Basically, the lower the number, the better to compare with some countries. The USA and China both hold a number of 0.48. It should be noted that the USA and China are the two richest countries in the world, with a total of 1,754 of the world's 2,755 billionaires between them. Norway, a socialized worker's paradise, sits at 0.25, and 12 of the world's billionaires located. With the UK at 0.35, and 171 of the world's billionaires sitting in UK. The poor in South Africa live in slums, or townships as they're called. Think of them like the favelas in Brazil. The middle class in South Africa expect to live like they do in Western Europe or America. This has led to massive unrest, especially based around race. Due to apartheid, white South Africans have far higher standards of living and wealth opportunities. This is changing, however. Since apartheid ended, many whites in the country feel discriminated against because of the BEE, Black economic empowerment. Income inequality isn't always a bad thing for a market. It incentivizes people to do better, to learn a skill, to improve their life. However, in an extreme country like South Africa, it can be dangerous. South Africa has only about six billionaires, including Elon Musk, who wouldn't really call South Africa his home anymore. But about 2% of the population lives about how well an upper middle class person in the USA would, with the remaining population living in slums. The reason for this massive inequality comes from the hangover of apartheid. Think about it like the ending of slavery in the USA. Sure, the newly freed men had freedom now, but they didn't have skills. After apartheid ended in 1994, a large percentage of the 75% black population of South Africa lacked skills and education to succeed in society. Even linguistics caused a major problem for many South Africans. Although English is widely spoken, for someone in South Africa coming from an impoverished Bantustan, or tribal homeland, where they only grew up speaking Zosa or Zulu. They might not even be able to communicate with places outside of their Bantustan or in society in general to get a job. South Africa has 11 official languages, among many others. Just like the black Americans who found themselves liberated after slavery ended, but without the ability to do anything besides the trade they learned as a slave, the ex-apartheid state finds itself without skilled labor. This led to a massive portion of the population to continue doing the same menial labor jobs that they had done under the apartheid system, such as farm work or resource extraction. Now, a common arguing point is that slavery ended so long ago in the USA, and it's time to move past it. While apartheid ended in the 1990s, it cuts the millennial generation in half. Such a large portion of these peoples came from an era where racism was the government policy. The cycle of poverty is hard to break, as of 2018, 
more than half the nation of South Africa lives on less than $5.50 a day. Absolute poverty. This figure is also rising. When a nation such as South Africa experiences such wealth inequality and absolute poverty, it creates a system that slides backwards, not forwards. With conditions such as absolute poverty, people are unable to get a decent education or to better themselves. They don't have the nutritional value or the mindset to better their lives. Absolute poverty is destroying South Africa, not incentivizing it. South Africa is an extremely unstable economy due to this wealth inequality. Another issue facing South Africa is capital flight. This is a thing known all too well to the region of Africa. Capital flight is a large-scale exodus of financial assets and capital from a nation due to events such as political or economic instability, currency devaluation, or the imposition of capital controls. South Africa's economy is not growing, it's shrinking, worsening the inequality and impoverishment. The wind of change is blowing through this continent. And whether we like it or not, this growth of national consciousness is a political fact. And we must all accept it as a fact. And our national policies must take account of it. North of South Africa is a country called Zimbabwe that knows the horrors of racism and capital flight all too well. When decolonization took Africa by storm in the 1950s and 60s, Zimbabwe, which at the time was called the Colony of Rhodesia, took notice. Rhodesia was an apartheid state run by the British white majority. In a parallel to South Africa, the 10% minority white ruled over the 90% minority native black population. Rhodesia was called the jewel of Africa and it experienced a massive inflow of skilled European labor and investment, which built the economy to an unmatched level of economic growth unseen anywhere in sub-Saharan Africa. Rhodesia fearing decolonization, which by at this point in the late 1950s and early 60s was taking Africa by storm. Many countries outright declared independence from the British government. And the British government, including the conservative faction, was no longer seeking to keep these colonies a part of the United Kingdom. Rhodesia decided to declare independence from Great Britain in 1965. Independence was declared unilaterally, like in the USA. It was not given like in Canada or South Africa. Around this time, the Rhodesian Bush War began between the white nationalist government and the black rebels who wanted blacks to have equal say in government. The Bush War was brutal and lasted almost 16 years. It became a Cold War proxy war. However, this nation state, due to its highly racist nature, was disowned by the West. Due to European colonialism and American racism, the communist bloc in the Cold War found itself the anti-racist bloc which had much more of an appeal to developing nations in Asia, Latin America, and Africa. Rhodesia was alone against two factions of the African communist nationalists, one led by the Chinese and the other led by the Soviets. Think of it like a proxy war between the two communist blocs. The only support Rhodesia received was from apartheid South Africa to the south, who also had a similar isolationist nature. The Bush War eventually turned against the white Rhodesians, and in 1980, the British mediated and allowed for free and fair elections for all citizens, blacks included, of the reintegrated British colony. We are non-racialist in our approach. That is, we regard as an, an individual as an indivi individual, and that uh, everybody must be accorded his full political rights, whether he be white or black, educated or uneducated, rich or poor. And this is exactly why we are at the moment struggling to earn for our people one man, one vote. Robert Mugabe, 
one of the black generals of the Bush War, was elected prime minister in 1980. His first act was to rename Rhodesia to the name it currently holds today, Zimbabwe. In the beginning, Mugabe attempted to keep peace with the white population in order to avoid capital flight. He needed to keep skilled labor and wealth in the country. Zimbabwe in the 1980s was prospering as it received generous financial support from outside players. The apartheid South Africa to the south began fermenting chaos in the racially amicable state. The South African government funded white separatist rebels, and after a terrorist attack, Mugabe turned on the whites of his country. The two began embargoing trade with each other, and tensions became a fever pitch. Mugabe began blaming whites for Zimbabwe's misfortunes. In the 1980s, his rhetoric changed sharply, from racial harmony to accusations. The economy ground to a halt in the 1980s, and in the 90s, he began seizing white-owned farms, and he began redistributing them socialistically to the native black population. Many of the farms went into default due to the native black farmers not knowing how to run them properly. A mass exodus of Zimbabwe and whites began. Most migrated to the UK and to apartheid South Africa, where the bitter whites' racial rhetoric only exacerbated racial animosity. Of the almost 300,000 white Rhodesians, today less than 30,000 still live in Zimbabwe. Today, Zimbabwe has hyperinflation and is one of the poorest countries in the world. It has come a long way from Rhodesia, once called the Jewel of Africa. The Jacob Zuma riots have once again destabilized and brought more poverty to South Africa. Initial estimates put the loss in Durban at about 20 billion rand, 1 billion 400 million dollars, and a total of 50 billion rand, 3.4 billion dollars, to South Africa's national economy. Jacob Zuma is a populist and remains popular among some of South Africa. His daughter is allegedly among those to have encouraged the looting and violence in order to secure the release of her father, as an unverified Twitter account under her name encouraged people to protest. Although some believe Zuma is using his name to hold South Africa hostage in order to have more bargaining power against the courts and his enemy, Cyril Ramaphosa, the current president of South Africa, the real reason behind the rioting is deeper than Jacob Zuma. The real reason for this anger and rioting is a lack of trust in the South African state by both sides, the wealthy and the poor. The wealthy, those who own shops, band together during the rioting and form vigilante groups to defend what they had. And the rioters band together to steal back what they feel was stolen under the apartheid state from the generation before them. Apartheid was an evil state where the vast majority of South Africa found themselves as third-class citizens based on race in their native homeland. Similar to Zimbabwe, many South African political leaders have been calling for BEE, or Black Economic Empowerment, a redistribution of wealth from whites to blacks. One of the main complaints about the ANC is that since taking power in 1994, they haven't done this. Perhaps when Nelson Mandela was elected the first black South African president in 1994, he understood Zimbabwe and understood what consequences could await South Africa had he gone down a similar path as Zimbabwe's Robert Mugabe. A better way to understand the mind of Nelson Mandela is to examine the apartheid state that he fought against and was imprisoned by for 27 years of his life. 